On Sex Positive Me, we explore all aspects of sex and relationships, ranging from fetishes and BDSM to ethical non-monogamy and LGBTQ issues. Sex Positive Me destigmatizes sexual practices and relationships while reconciling reality with myth and misconceptions. Our goal is to educate, entertain, and be advocates of sexual freedom. And now here's your hosts, Angelique and John Luna. Everyone and welcome to another fun rendition edition and all the fun stuff of Sex Positive Me. I am your host with the most, Miss Angelique Luna. Most, most. Yes, with the you most. I the most us. I, I'm, I'm being as bratty today as possible because you, the brat is coming out on you. Yes, because you know <laughs> after the, reading this book, I, I think I could I could embrace it even more. Really, I thought it might have been the cold weather. <laughs> now, admittedly, we live in Florida, so like it hit 52 degrees, and we're like we're not going outside. So I, I know, I know our Northern friends are like, you bastard, but it's cold for Florida when you're not used to it. Yes. But if anyone's checking out our Instagram TV, you could see John hanging on the sex swing in the cold garage there. So well, you decided to play cameraman. <laughs> I decided, no, you volunteer because you were afraid I might fall and hurt myself. No, I'm happy to get you up in the sling. <laughs> but usually when you get up in the sling, you have, you have help. Um, I'm used to doing pull-ups and push-ups and I figured I'll get into the swing and do it. And we also wanted to demonstrate the swing held three, uh, well, not the, the limits 300. It held my 222. So uh, it was a great demo, but we're yeah. not going to talk about that. We have something else to talk about tonight. Yes. Go ahead. You introduce our guest today. Oh, I get the introduction. Yes. Well, we have an author, a PhD, a uh, sex and relationship coach, uh, author of Project Relationship, and I love this, The Entrepreneur's Action Plan for Sustainable, sorry, for Passionate Sustainable Love, Jolie Hamilton. Welcome. <laughs> Thanks so much, John. You know, and I think we could definitely talk about the sex link because I'm glad to hear it held 220. You know, that's that's just a good call. And I'm glad you tested it, even if well, you had to be a little nippy. <laughs> that, that is one of the questions um, a, a lot of our listeners will ask. And we did it on Instagram. And the first yeah. thing that comes up is what's the max weight? Because we have some some friends that are, uh, she is six foot plus. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. She, you gotta keep it real. a little dainty girl. She, she is Amazon looking yeah. all, yeah. Cause I feel like a little midget next to her. Cause I yeah. am tiny, but yeah. yeah. No. I grew up in a household of very big people. So I think when, when people talk about weight limits, my dad was 315, my brother hit 300, you know, like, so when people talk about weight limits with things like that, I'm like, yeah, if they, if you can't get up into the threes, you're not even close to inclusive. Cause that was just my norm. Like I, we just, that was just my family. So yeah, I'm loving that you're testing that out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 yeah. We'll test that every way possible. That's what I love about us. Our research is fantastic <laughs> yes. and fun. Hands on. <laughs> Probably like yours. It sounds like you've done some fun research. Tell us about it. So I think of my research as at least twofold. Um, the first is that I'm a professional researcher. So I have my doctorate in depth psychology, but my focus is on relationships and specifically on jealousy. And I look at that through the ethical non-monogamy lens um, because people who are in ethically non-monogamous relationships put themselves in the path of jealousy. So I do professional relationships. Um, research that way. But then I also consider myself a hands-on researcher because I, much like the two of you, I live my life really transparently. And, um, you know, I put my relationship to the test publicly and, and show people like behind the scenes what it's like to be a person who <sighs> has studied and studied and studied and still has a very real, flawed, you know, life with, with a partner who you know, I live with and who we have kids together and it's real. And that research definitely informs everything I do <laughs> because it, I can really put to the test, the moves that I, that I put, um, that I put out there and I say, Hey, try this, ha try this option. You know, we can address problems. We can address, um, roadblocks in lots of ways. And if I've tried these things, even if they don't work for me, I've learned so much that I feel like I can really, really compassionately share the the pluses and minuses um with with anybody who i'm talking to well, so yeah regardless of the type of relationship there is no perfect relationship no there's not um, and there's no perfect relationship pattern there's so many options available 
and everyone's gonna everyone changes so relationships are going to have their up and downs and i'm with you as far as putting our relationship on the line because we've been doing that for years and people sometimes come to us and be like you know how does it all work and it's fantastic i'm like it wasn't always fantastic right i can tell you some dark times where we said what the hell are we doing and are we going to get you know past the next month but um what i like is you, you you in this book you made relationships seem more like a business in a lot of ways and in, yeah in the way that you know oh something went wrong in the business you don't just walk away from it right right and I because I think that for me when I transitioned from my first marriage to my second marriage um it was it was a really complicated transition. Um, I transitioned into a triad at first, and then that transitioned again into a monogamous looking but not monogamous relationship. And all of those different transitions taught me so much about relationships and taught me most of all that there wasn't a right way to do things. All there was was there were kinder and less kind ways, and there were edgier and and you know more more um, safe feeling ways, even if they weren't safe. But the thing I think I learned the most was that that security that we, you know, we long for and we will chase after is largely an illusion. It's, it's an illusion along the lines. I mean, we're all going to die. (laughs) We're, we're all going to experience grief. We're all going to experience loss. And once I accepted that I could treat my relationship with care because I could I could take seriously that, yeah, I don't have to walk away just because it's not turning out the way I want it to. Um, On the other hand, I could also transition away from a relationship when it's time to pivot. It's time to make a new decision. And it's, for me, the business metaphor really worked. And it's also where I had the most experience. You know, I had, I've started a lot of businesses and I know a lot about having to make the decisions in like in the field, you know, you're, you're, you have to decide, am I sticking with this or am I, am I pivoting? Am I going to see through a particular line of thought or are, am I going to try something that no one has ever tried before? Am I going to go way out on the edge? And for me going out on the edge without even knowing exactly where I was headed. Yeah, sure. It led to dark spots like you're talking about, but it also led to huge discoveries discoveries that I, I wouldn't have had if I, if I tried to follow somebody else's path. So, right. Yeah. That's one thing we always keep telling people. It's like, just because it may work for somebody else, it may not work for you. I mean, it's a trial and error. It, a lot of times we do a lot of comparisons with food. He's Italian. I'm Mexican. So everything relates food. with food. <laughs> so that way then people could understand. I'm like, think about it. If you're just stuck with a partner who dislikes apple pie, and you love apple pie, like really love apple pie, and you have to give up apple pie to be in this relationship, are you willing to do that? And what was the answer from one of our uh, students in class? Oh, I've had people say, you are crazy. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, hell no, I'm not giving up my apple pie. (laughs) But the truth is when we go into a relationship, a lot of the things um, people consider, and it's a normal consideration is, what are you giving up? Yeah. It shouldn't be anything we give up. Mm -mm. It should be us growing together and and, and adding to it, not turning in our ability and whether you're monogamous or not, you know, to look at another person and say they're attractive or, you know, to go out on another date or whatever it is for you, you shouldn't be giving up things. I think it's, it's interesting, just the language, right? What does it mean to give something up? What about if we reinvent how that that particular desire looks in our relationship. You know, I, I, I went through a transition that we're into like out of, um, out of ethical non-monogamy into a, what I now know was a temporary monogamous situation. And in that instance, it wasn't giving up anything. What we were doing was actually taking some time to just allow ourselves to, to dive right into the relationship we were in. And it was awesome. It didn't feel like we were sacrificing a single thing. But just three years before, if somebody had asked me (laughs) whether I was willing to be monogamous, I would have said, oh, absolutely not. It was about finding the way to get to to have all of my desires met in in a way that was suitable for then and 
in a way that I could communicate to my partner. I think that people get limited. Your imagination of how good your marriage can be is limited by your imagination of what marriage can be. There's, there are so many ways to inhabit a marriage or a relationship. Um, but we, we tend to get stuck in a pretty narrow definition when really there's just as many as there are people. Right. I think as grownups, we forget what the ability to imagine anything because as kids, we have these vivid imaginations and we're very creative and very outspoken. But when we become adults, we forget that. And that also transitions into like our sex life too. It's like, um, no, it's just like this. And I'm like, really, where don't you know there's other options and things that you could do? It's right. like have an imagination, have fantasies, enjoy. Yeah. When, when we put the words imagination and play back into our relationships, mm-hmm. all of a sudden there's new possibility. But if we're caught up in trying to become a grown up, whatever the heck that means, there's something about this. Like, I'm going to be a grown up and have the grown up relationship now. And I see more and more people sticking with that for the first like seven to 10 years. And then they're burned out from it, from trying to fit a role that they never really even consciously had the conversations about. And that's where I had in the book, I talk about all these conversations we really do need to have in order to create the relationship that works for us. You know, I think you can, you can create a relationship with a wide variety of people. I, I'm not one to think that, you know, there's one single person for everyone, um, but if you're not having the conversations to actually craft that relationship, you're definitely at the very least going to be leaving some apple pie on the table. <laughs> Amen, sister. Amen to that. So my question was, it's like, what was the thought process, you know, using the master checklist with assessments, tool, tools and action steps? Yeah. So when I was putting this book together, I was originally writing it for um, somebody who I knew who was, they were very, a very organized business type, very much like myself. Um, and I, what I knew about them, and they were just sort of my, my, my flash vision of like, oh, I want to write a book that would organize all this information for them. My flash vision was that it needed to be something that they could flip to exactly the problem that they were having and get some quick information and take an action because this is the, these, that mindset that we have to go and like drag ourselves through years of therapy in order to address every single problem, I think gets in the way of getting some real good relationship movement happening right now. I love therapy. Therapy's awesome. I've spent many, many years in therapy, but then there's just taking action in your relationship. And I think a few pages of words and, you know, a a short assessment. And I use the word assessment because you are your own best assessor. No one's inside of you and can, can measure you as well as you can. Um, You know, I was trained in um, performing the MBTI, the Myers-Briggs personality test. And Uh one of the things, yeah. So one of the things I like about that is that when you're trained in it, they remind you that. It is never your job to tell someone what their type is. You guide them and help them to come to an understanding of what the types are so that they can identify themselves, but it, we can't place that label on someone. And so if I give you an assessment tool, you just get to know yourself better, but it's not like a, it's not a Cosmo quiz that, that defines your life, you know, and it's not, it's not a psychiatric quiz. Um, test, an evaluation that defines you and puts you in a box. It's just new self-knowledge. And then following right on the heels of that is an action step. Um, When I think about people today with busy lives and everything going on, I just think it's more realistic to immediately have an action step, something you can do, than to think about, okay, now try to be different. What does that even mean? (laughs) Like, just try to be different or just, okay, now go do the work. Well, what's the work? I wanted to define the work. So that's why I broke it down and I made that checklist. I was like, well, if you've gone through each of these action steps, I can tell you, you will have done more active work on your relationship than anyone who has ever walked into my office right off the bat. Like people just don't come in having done that like clear cut sort of processing, having the conversations, but it really doesn't have to take that long. Most of these activities take like 30 minutes, 90 minutes, and there's only 12 chapters. It's just, it's pretty succinct. Um, 
but you can get a lot done if you're, if you're focused. Yeah. That's what I was going to ask is like, is there going to be a workbook version of this? Because I yeah. think it would be <laughs> perfect. So that way you could like tear out the pages and do, cause I, I, I enjoyed it very much. And I saw the Gotham Institute implement. I was like, Oh, I got this, you know, cause we yeah. studied Gotham too. So that's why we're like, okay, this is, it, it makes sense. And some people just doesn't understand that working in a relationship is equivalent to working into a business because you have to put in the same time, emotions and efforts to make it successful. Yeah. I mean, we don't expect to get an ROI when we don't put in the effort, right? If you're going to invest in a business, you you have an expectation and you'll do some calculations, you'll do some figuring, right? About, so how am I going to see a return on this? How am I going to get that return on my investment? But when it comes to our relationships, we get really loosey-goosey and we think, well, I'll just put in the effort. But if we don't codify what that effort actually is, a lot of times we're actually not showing up in our relationship or we're putting in tons of effort, but our partner's not putting in any. And we don't see that. We don't see the 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 inconsistency there. And so we, when, gosh, I was just having a conversation with my partner and we were talking about why you would invest in your relationship at all. And he had a great thought. He said, you know, I think it's a little different from when you invest in a business, actually. It's more like when you buy your house and then you, and then you pour a bunch more money into that house to make it exactly the house you want to be. And that's because you want to spend these precious years, your, your living years, living in a particular way. You want to feel, you want to wake up and, and feel a certain way. And that's what it is to invest in our relationships. We want to wake up, turn to our partner and feel a certain way. And that doesn't happen by magic. It happens through skill development. It just does. Preach it, sister. Preach it. I say the same thing because it's like, I'm also like an intuitive psychic medium. And when I do those love readings, I tell them the exact same thing. If you're pouring all your emotions, all your love, and you're not getting anything back, you're getting, you're not getting your return on your investment. You're yep. investing into that person. But if they don't invest back in, to you, it's like either you got to address it or you got to leave. That, right. that, that, those are your two options there. Right. And we don't have to consider that. a. That's not a failure. Yeah. yeah. One of my favorite chapters, the, my favorite chapter to write was chapter 12, because I talk about what it means to, you know, to have a relationship end. And I hate the narrative that that is a failure in some way. I think that we have come to want to preserve this idea of longevity of relationship over all other measures. But what if we measured the, the greatness of a relationship by what lessons we learned or by what we created together or by how much fun we had while we were in the fun years or any number of other things. If we measured them that way, then most relationships would probably have at least somewhat of a success story. And maybe then they'd have a closure because perhaps they've run their course, but we wouldn't measure our worth by whether they supposedly failed. It's... It's a tragedy, right? We have a lot of people, and I'm going to pick on the older generation just a little bit, my parents, because I do, <laughs> is that they have this concept that things are supposed to be permanent. Yeah. And I'll even go with the example of I had to put in a new mailbox before I sold my house. And my father-in-law came over with like bags of concrete. <laughs> and before I knew anything, poured it in there. He's like, this is never going anywhere. I'm like, I'm selling the house. What if they don't like the one I put in, <laughs> it's going to be hell pulling that out. But they, it, it, it seems to be ingrained that this idea of things that need to be built need to be built to last forever. Yeah. yeah. It's okay to have something that you build and you enjoy, and then you, you it's over. Yeah. There's a steel I-beam in my kitchen for the same <laughs> reason. <laughs> so my father was an overbuilder, right? Like, so, so my kitchen has these ridiculously overbuilt things. And I, my first marriage had some overbuiltness to it too, like an over-reliance on each other for everything when in fact we had some great spots and we had some spots that where we really could have resourced better outside of our relationship, even if we hadn't wanted to break our monogamy commitment. If we had wanted to stay in that, we still could have learned to resource our friends differently, to resource ourselves differently. We could have learned to turn to each other for the best of what we had to offer each other 
and not rely on each other for things that we we really just didn't have to give. You know, my example there is, you know, my first husband just did not have a lot of words. He just didn't. Um, and my love language <laughs> is largely tied up in words. <laughs> you know, I want lots of words of affirmation. Um, so that was a problem. It was a huge mismatch, right? And if I had known that, if I had understood that I could have resourced that, that need for words of affirmation elsewhere, how, how might we have, it doesn't matter whether the relationship ended, how might we have spent the years we spent together differently? How many fewer fights might there have been if I had simply engaged in some self-knowledge? Hey, this is a need I have. Do I have to get that need met by this one person? Plenty of things in our relationships could be met through friends, through support groups, through therapists, through different kinds of relationships that are, are things we don't even have words for yet, right? <laughs> well, one of the reasons why entrepreneur really, really rang out with me, I, I have my master's in business, so I'm drawing back on that was, but in business, um, like I'm colorblind. I'm never going to be a botanist. I'm never going to work in a nursery. Well, you had to because change I'll be like, you know, degrees. Are, are, are they, oh, I'll never be an electrician. Yeah. Is yeah. the wire green or, or, or red? I don't know. Let's try it. <laughs> it doesn't work. That's why he had to change degrees in college. When they asked them that question, he's like, oh, so it's like, yeah, nope. Software. Yeah, that's not work. <laughs> but for something like your career or a business, you research that ahead of time. So you're not going to go into a business, into a business, you know, you're going to fail at. And then while you're in business, you can pivot, you know, but you make arrangements. You have contracts to say, I'm going to provide this. You're going to provide this. And when we go into a relationship, it's a, uh, they're cute. Maybe it'll work out. It's a Disney fairy tale. Everything will just work out. And it's like, no, 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 no. This is more important than a business. A business you can close and start over a new one, which right. you, you can do with a relationship, but um, it, it's much more personal. It's much more, uh, uh, it's going to affect you deeper. It is. It, I mean, it affects, I, you know, I'm a depth psychologist, so I take individuation very seriously. You know, like these are the years in which we are developing our, our soul, right? Like, do I want to spend 10, 15, 25 years with somebody who's not on that path with me? I would much rather run a business I didn't like <laughs> than to do that. Much rather. <laughs> As he pokes at me. <laughs> so question, how, how influential was the Me Too movement when you were writing this book? Because I noticed it was very gender neutral, very neutral altogether. And I liked that very much. Yeah. So I was writing this book right when uh, the proverbial shit hit the fan. <laughs> um, the continuum. Yeah. It's, and it continues to, but it was like right when everything had started to like thunderously come to a head. Right. And what I, what I knew was I wanted to write a book that would hopefully feel inclusive to more people and to acknowledge the limits of my own, um, my own experience so that, so that people could take and leave what I had to offer. I wanted people to feel like um, I wasn't being prescriptive because I think that the Me Too movement for me and, and really so much that's come since was about noticing what's actually happening. It's not just about whether um, abuse is happening, whether power dynamics are out of control. It's not, it's, it is that. And it's about my reality isn't your reality and everything that comes from that. Um, and so, so I'm a sex educator. That's one of the things I do. Um, I'm a, I'm an ASEX certified sex educator, and I, I went through a lot of work <laughs> to get those letters behind my name. And one of the things that I learned during my training was that I was never going to be able to wrap my brain around every single possibility and differentiation in the world of sex. And so to stop trying and start instead trying to embrace the fact that I wasn't going to know and I needed to let everybody tell me who they are. And, and so I tried to write the book, even though I knew I was aiming at, um, at women, I was aiming at entrepreneurial people, and I was aiming at people who um, tend to say lean left. <laughs> I knew I was aiming in that direction, but I wanted to leave the language as open as I could around, you tell me, who are you? And 
how does this land for you? Because in there lies, yeah, whatever the next 10 books will be. I, I don't know. I'll write the next book when, when the next, you know, inspiration strikes, but those inspirations will probably come from all the work I do with people. So I'm, I, I love, I love the fact that everything started really busting open and I hate the pain that came, you know, came to a head that caused it to burst open, but I'm really grateful. I'm grateful for all the stories we hear. It reminds me that we're in this mess together. Power and sex are inherently related. So we got to deal with that. <laughs> we can't hide from it. Yeah, since the dawn of time, you could go back to the early days of cavemen and Romans. You know, it, yeah. it, that's one thing I always keep telling people because we're very um, huge advocates for sex workers. Everyone's right to have sex, however it may be, you know, because it's always going to be there. It's going to be part of life. There's scientific studies showing the benefits of having orgasms and, you know, having sex, even if you have whatever chronic illness, disabilities, you could still have a very passionate sex life. So, right. right. And opening, opening the door was my, like what I wanted to do was just open the door to the conversations. Cause mm -hmm. if we start talking about it, sex is better if we talk about it. <laughs> so, you know, we just need to have the vocabulary and the conversations. I have seven teenagers talking about sex. Teenagers? Yes. It's I, already, I knew there were seven kids, but teenagers, God yeah. bless you. Yeah. They're 13 to 21. And what it means is that in our house, those are all really, really normal conversations, but most people don't get to grow up that way. So what I wanted to, was to make sure that everybody I come in contact with knows that they can talk to me about that stuff and they won't be shamed. And if I make a mistake, I'll apologize and we'll carry on and we'll have the conversation some more. So that was my goal. So have you had to sign some waivers with other parents if their kids come to you for advice? I, I have gotten quite a few calls. And <laughs> usually what happens is I actually get a call from the parent going, I'm way out past my, <laughs> I am way out past my comfort zone. Can you talk to them? And I always say, yeah, I'm happy to. It's, those are easy conversations for me, but um, can you teach my kid how to drive? Because I really don't want to get in that car right now. <laughs> I think that's a great barter system right there. <laughs> it's true. That's, that, it really but, does take a village. <laughs> yeah, it does. Trying to talk to your kid about sex. We, we dread it because our parents dreaded it. For most of us is what yep. I'm saying. But yep. it doesn't have to be that way. But getting past that is, yeah, that's a hurdle. Yeah, it is a hurdle. And I lucked out because my parents screwed up so many things, so many things. <laughs> I love, I love them, but they, they, uh, they made some mistakes, but for me, for whatever reason, they got this one, right. They, um, they left my brother and I like psychologically intact to be able to talk about sex very comfortably. And I don't know how that magically happened, but because of that, I feel like we were, I, I've been able to have these conversations with my kids right from the beginning. And it's, it's such a weight lifted because I watch my peers trying to talk about sex comfortably and feeling hemmed in by their, the values that they grew up with and knowing that they want to be open and, and generous about definitions and terminology and everything, but, but they just don't have the tools. So they're scrambling usually a few years too late. It's hard. It's really hard. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we normally tell parents, it's like kids could smell fear. Yeah. So please don't show that to them. It's true. It's true. And they're usually, you know, I think it's the first couple conversations that are tough. And after that, it really does ease, you know, once you start normalizing the fact that it's going to get talked about. And so in our house, that often just looks like joking around, talking about it you know, while we're eating dinner together, like, or, or some silly meme that has come across somebody's, you know, that's how we normalize it. We normalize it by, by seeing the humor in sexuality, seeing how, and, and then turning to the world at large, you know, the political world, they're all aware. They all see what's going on. They're on Facebook or Reddit or Snapchat. They see what's going on even during a quarantine. So we bring these conversations in and have them and, and laugh where we can and cry together when we can't laugh anymore. And it's all this, it's just this sort of 
glom of conversation. So the 21 year old and the 18 year old, they're having a different level of conversation with me, but the 13 year old gets what he can out of that. Like he'll take in what is appropriate for him and that's fine. And so what it means is, yeah, the 13 year old's like, cool. He's like, I got, I got this. It's fine. You know, randomly talking about, you know, topics that are usually quite taboo. And he's like, that's fine. He can say the word masturbation with no, you know, no, no qualms that's on his great. face because he's like, what, this is just a word. We just talk about that. I feel like I've won when things like that happen. I'm like, yes, yes. That is a victory. I will give you that. Absolutely <laughs> there. I'm not going to win them all, but I win. I, every once in a while, there's a good one. <laughs> Well, we're going to take a quick break for a commercial, but we'll be right back. Hey, John, I want to get a new toy. Okay, so let's go to Fair Villa. But I don't want to waste time trying to find out what goes with what. Well, there's Fair Villa University, and their staff is very well educated and helpful. Okay, but how about if I just want to go to a party instead? Then go to their website, because on their calendar, they list all their events. But I don't want to spend a lot of money. Have you heard of their loyalty program? Oh yeah, that thing on my keychain that makes everyone blush every time they see it. That's the one. Let's go. Well, they have over five locations in Central Florida. Which one do you want to go to? Fair, Fair Villa. Villa. For, For pleasure, pleasure, fun, and, and fantasy. fantasy. And we're back. So we're going to talk about something really fun now, which is always our, you know, wheel of fun here. Definitely in our wheelhouse. <laughs> it's like... What is sex anyways? And why do you consider that an action step in the book? Yeah. So I created this particular action step because I, I think this is the most powerful question that can be asked really <laughs> in almost any room talking about sex in any way. If we come back to this sort of central question. So what is sex? It sounds really simple and straightforward, but I have sat in rooms of sex therapists, sex educators, sex counselors training. I have sat in rooms full of, you know, freshmen in college. I've sat in rooms filled with, you know, older people who are well-established in their happy, happy marriages. And I've asked them to come up with just, just take an index card and write down your definition of sex and then share it. Without fail, every single time I've done that exercise, the entire room has a different definition. Then you try to get everybody to come to like a collaborative decision about what a definition that we could share. You want to see some arguments go down there. So what happens is we start to realize right away, we don't have like some generic definition of sex. Any two people may define sex really, really differently. And that sounds fine. Usually what happens is in a large group, people realize that that's normal. We're in a big group and it's normal to have disagreements about definitions. Cool. Awesome. Now, what if that were your partner disagreeing about what the definition of sex is? So I give this same exercise, and this is why I wrote it up for the book this way. This is an action step because I want you to actually do it. You and your partner or partners. Go to your separate corners for a few minutes, write down your definitions of sex, and then compare them. You're probably going to find out that you either are all of a sudden struck with, oh my gosh, I don't actually know. <laughs> um, and that's a little disconcerting if you're a grown adult and you're like, of course I know what sex is. And then you go to try to write it down. And you don't know, but it's okay. You know, everybody struggles with this. Or the other thing that happens is we find out that our partner has a completely different idea of what sex is. So this action step is about really naming that and noticing what happens if I know what sex is. Some really big discussions and arguments that come up may not be arguments anymore. But if I never have this conversation, well, an example I use is this. I worked with a couple who, well, they came to me because they wanted some basic information about kink. Simple enough, easy. And we were talking about that and that's all fine. But then we got into a conversation because they were really, really disagreeing about their, how, how their sex life was going. And they weren't actually knowing that they were disagreeing. I was hearing from one of them that they never had sex and from the other that they had sex frequently. And it's like they couldn't even hear. It was like my two ears could not 
comprehend how different their definition. I mean, we're talking years. One of them's like, oh, we haven't had sex in years. And the other one's thinking that they're having sex all the time. It's a definitional problem. What, so we did this exercise and it, it came down to this. One of them had a very strict definition of what sex is. It involved a penis in a vagina. <laughs> and that was that. Anything else that they were getting didn't qualify. So, yeah. So the, um, the hand work that was happening, the oral work that was happening, none of that, none of that counted for them in their own sense of whether they were getting sex. So they could admit to the idea that they were having some sexual contact, but they didn't feel like they were getting sex. This was causing huge, huge fights, huge fights, um, which is not what they came to see me for. They came to talk about kink because they had sort of separated out their kink and, and were thinking of it as like sort of a beyond sex experience. It was a, a sensual experience. <laughs> There was a lot of work, a lot of stuff to unpack and all of that. But the right in the center of it was this, this little seed, this little nugget that once we started talking about what sex was, all of a sudden they realized that not only were they actually closer to the ideal sex life they wanted than they thought, they were fighting over like an idea of what sex could be, but they also could very easily make a couple shifts and get really closely in alignment with their sexual desire. And so I outline the exercise and, you know, it starts off with like, well, for me, sex starts when, how do you know when sex starts? I, you know, does it start when what? And so I, I there are examples of what, how you might define sex starting. And anybody who's in the kink community know, knows that there's going to have to be negotiation before any particular sexual escapade happens, any kink action happens. But when people are in long-term relationships, often there isn't a discussion before sex happens, which means there's no discussion. Often that means there's no real talk of consent. Often it means that they don't actually know when sex is starting. What this is just, it's a setup for disaster. So this is actually my favorite action step in the whole book. And the one that if, if I could have people do, you know, like hands down, I would have everyone do because once you do, you can start to really ask for what you want, what you need and, yeah, it can be just transformative to your whole life, not just your sex life, like your whole life. <laughs> and I think so many relationships could do so much better yeah. just by realizing that. Because the biggest thing I see um, in my experience when relationships do fail, it's, well, I'm not getting fulfilled. I'm getting disappointed. Yeah. Okay. Did you, did you say what you wanted? Yeah. Well, they know. No, they don't. They never do. Now, I have to blame the Clinton administration for for saying that oral sex is not sex. And that did not help anything. That no, it didn't. It didn't because I'm like thinking, yes, it is. And then like it, trying to teach people. It narrowed our definition again. We don't need any more narrowing of our definitions. Sex can sex is whatever we make of it. It I mean so uh, there was a freshman in my last human sexuality class who who reminded me that there was um, there was a guy who could orgasm by um, a particular touch on his hand. Um, he'd had a particular he'd had a, a, a spinal cord severing and um, he'd done a bunch of erotic work and and had had sort of rewired his orgasm so that he could experience an orgasm sensation through a specific stroking of his hand like okay, well, sex is going to look a lot different. In fact, it might look a lot like a handshake then. I think that like blew my imagination, imagination open. Like really, really sex could be whatever you define it to be. So Absolutely. yeah. Absolutely. And I think I, I, I know I learned that in the kink community. Yeah. Because uh, obviously the idea of a sexual experience I, I had, it could be broad, yeah. but we would plan out a night for sex and we would get into bondage and fire play. And after about 90 minutes and four orgasms for you, I'm like, <laughs> all right, now I'm ready. And you're like, huh, I yeah. know. <laughs> I can see and that. I get it. The first time you do it is a disappointment. Yes. But after that, it was, okay, I'm going into this knowing what I'm doing for her. My pleasure is really what I'm causing. I love the look yeah. on her face. I know what I'm doing it. And I know at the end of it, um, I may or may not, probably not, but I'm, 
I'm going to have oh, you darn. as Putty in my arms. <laughs> yeah. And we'll do me another time. Yeah. You have a range of options available to you after after her many, many orgasms. And you can choose to take those on if you want. I love that you said that your pleasure comes from the, the sensations you're providing. That is that is an extremely freeing statement. Like to be able to 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 fully embody pleasure as a giver as well as as a receiver is it's, it's beautiful and awesome. Well, it's funny how we got there was um, when we started getting into kink, she would go quiet. Oh. And that removed the pleasure for me because I wasn't getting a reaction. And it wasn't until I actually heard someone say, you know, because people will put themselves into these boxes, you're submissive, you're dom, and you sort of learn we move between them. Yeah. Sometimes we're more submissive, sometimes we're more dom or more whatever. But the one thing I get out of it is I, I'm a reactionist. Yeah. I, I love seeing the reaction from the actions I'm doing. Yeah. And whether that's sex or whether that's tying or we're out or what it is. Or, or whether tickling it's, and attacking or, my feet. Or whether, yeah, or whether it's surprising you at Starbucks. I love Yeah, that's what I was just going to say. I bet just making a perfect dish and serving it. Like yes. for me, that's all about the reaction on everybody's face. I can totally imagine. That, that's a perfect analogy. I love it. I love it. And that allows you to, to explore the range of what, what a sexual experience could be because you could, you can explore giving for many hours and depending on your body and your refractory periods, you might not be able to experience receiving for many hours. So I don't know, it opens up possibilities, especially if you're going to talk about like a whole sex weekend, right? Like being able to stay in that spot of, of receiving reaction rather than receiving this like direct like erotic stimulation in a very specific genital area and that's all <laughs> it's a very narrow definition it, and it's not a race yeah it's not get to the orgasm we're done i'm i'm, I'm off to the locker room oh there, there's only one way it's either google maps or apple maps no you need to know how to give directions and both right yes yep absolutely now if someone who grabs the book and they're like, oh, it's an entrepreneur book. It's going to be stale. There's yeah. no romance and passion. Where are my Disney fairy tales? What would you tell them? So the, the thing I would tell them is that I wrote this book for entrepreneurs so that people who were busy and didn't have, you know, it, like piles of time to read through the, like the huge stack of books that's behind me um, <laughs> could, could very quickly dive into some very erotic and very connecting and very deeply intimate actions with their partners, actions with themselves. I skipped over the fluff, but I don't believe I skipped over the, the fairy tale really at all. I think that what it is, is I made it, I boiled it down to these little teeny, like intense shots. These are really, really intense shots of, of intimate connection. Um, I didn't want people to waste their time because while I love reading a 400 page book that has, you know, four sentences that I need out of it. Cause you know, I wrote a dissertation. So of course I like that. That's my kink, but not everybody wants that. So I tried to really just pull out like, what do you need? And I don't think there's anything more romantic or more um, erotic than getting to the getting to the fun stuff. So if you only have, I mean, right now we're what we're in pandemic and trying to squeeze a date night in between, you know, when you get the kids to bed and you fall asleep. I didn't know I was going to be releasing this book in month, you know, like seven of a pandemic, but I did. And I was glad these are doable things, even in the midst of a really confined life. So yeah, while it was written for the entrepreneur, I could say you could easily think of this as a book for busy people, anybody who's busy and the intimacy and connection are built right in there. You know, it's baked right into the whole premise of it. I don't think I could take that out of anything I did anyways, because it's baked into me. Yeah, definitely. I think that's what people need to understand. If you're looking at the, you know, the Disney fairy tales, it is that intimate connection. That's what you're looking for. Yep. You know, that's what the fairy tale is all about. But, you know, cartoons and animated stories and fairy tales have it written somewhere delusional. Well, right. Yeah. Yeah. We all dream of living in a castle, but castles are built. They're not wished upon. That's and beautiful. we look at the relationships and they, they are great relationships, but 
you know, just like sex on TV, they, they, they go to bed, start kissing, and then it fades out to here. There's a lot in between that movie's not showing you. And right. if you do want a fairy tale relationship, there it, it's going to depend on you. And there's a lot of stuff in there that any, any book, any movie isn't going to show you. You have to figure it out for yourself, but you need the right tool set. Right. Yeah. You got to get in and do the stuff that, that like, what is the work of a relationship? It's, it's doing it's action. It's also, you know, listening is an action. Um, you know, acceptance is an action. It's not that it's always, I need to set up this exact scenario in order to have a night play out exactly the way it's not just that kind of action. It's the action of writing down, you know, some of the exercises uh, that are the most intimate are exercises you do on your own, but then you have your answers to bring to your partner or you have, you've crafted a conversation about, Hey, you know what? I need, I need a little something. Let's, let's have a conversation. Maybe that conversation only needs to take 30 minutes or 40 minutes. If I've thought beforehand about what it is I'm actually asking for. And that leads to intimacy and skips over some of the the haggle fighting, I think of it as, you know, we get into a conversation where we don't know exactly what we're asking for. So we start bickering back and forth and we're, we're like haggling over how can I get what I need, but we're not actually saying what we need. So yeah, I, I wanted people to take seriously that they could take action on their side of the street and then bring what they've learned about themselves to their partner in a, in a slightly more refined form. And create intimacy from that spot. I think it's more realistic for the life we live in right now. Most of us don't have, um, you know, a fairy tale castles worth of people waiting on us. So I think we're going to have to tighten things up a little. Yeah. And I totally appreciate the fact that you have several templates in the book to at least start that conversation. Because again, we're adults, we don't have an imagination. We don't know what we're saying. You know, it's going back to the old mad libs. I don't know if you Yeah. Yeah, totally. Mad libs. Yeah. Mad libs. So I did that because I realized now that I do that with my kids naturally when they were little um, and they would make a mistake with their words. I would offer them the very first thing I'd say is, you know, hang on, try that again. And I would give them the words to say and let them say the words. Why in the world we can't do that with our partners is beyond me. Once I realized that I could actually tell my partner what I needed to hear and that that wasn't, (laughs) that wasn't somehow like cheating. It's, we think of it like, unless they spontaneously say it, it doesn't count. Why? Did you want to hear it? Then you're going to have to build it in. The language we use, creating the language of intimacy is a, that's a, that's a shared venture over, over a whole bunch of probably years in order to really get there. So I, I wrote it up so that people could, yeah, have sentence stems and mad libs and, and fill in the blanks so that they didn't have to invent it from scratch. We don't all have to reinvent the wheel. And I've spent the last 11 years doing this hardcore, like 20 hours a week minimum spent on my relationships minimum. I I was actually logging it for years and that was the minimum we ever got to. It was a huge, and that was on top of all the book studying I was doing about it. It, I don't want, I don't think everybody's got that much time. So I tried to like get to the point and say like, so fill these in, how would you answer this? And now bring it to your partner. Well, that brings up a really great idea now. And that's, I've seen the kids Mad Libs. I've seen the adult Mad Libs, which was fun too. Right. Relationship uh, Mad Mad Libs. Libs. Yeah, relationship Mad Libs. That should be, yeah. Yeah. I think Mm -hmm. they're they're telling, right? Yeah. (laughs) And sometimes when we play a game like that, we find out that the, we get some of the humor back (laughs) into our relationship. Because if we take it all too seriously, I, I mean- we're going to make mistakes. I we're just, we're going to make mistakes as we try to figure this out together. And the mistakes don't have to be the measure of us. So I think that, you know, each of these exercises is designed to be done repeatedly, you know, and I've, I've walked people through them over the course of, you know, you do this one year, do it again. My partner and I revisit several of these on a regular basis. Um, 
And every three years, we usually make sure we've gone through, there are like three core conversations we need to have. And we schedule them in every three years. We have to have these three conversations. Otherwise this marriage is not continuing. I, <laughs> I feel like we, we needed to put these things in over and over again on purpose and, and then have fun with it. Sometimes when I go back to our early notes, I'm like, wow, okay. I might not love where we are right now, but we have grown <laughs> and we can just laugh about that and then move on. We've done that. Yeah. <laughs> we, we usually yeah. tell our clients the same thing because um, I noticed you had the yes, no, maybe list. We, we also give that and we also give like a negotiation list and we tell our clients, it's like you do these lists, you know, the first couple of times, every three months, six months, a year until you get to know it. And then, you know, do a yearly review just to see how you've grown and changed because everyone changes. I mean, we're not the same people from 11 years ago either. So yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and a yes, no, maybe list is a, it's a beautiful concept that so many great concepts have come out of the kink world. It's just a great concept. I mean, you could apply that a yes, no, maybe list to anything. You could apply that to which restaurants you want to go to. It's just a great idea. And then revisiting it so that you get to grow. I, I love having a relationship partner who I consider my individuation partner, my, my partner who, who's coming on a growth journey with me. Whether we'll make it like to till death do us part is irrelevant to me. What matters is that he intentionally decided to be on this, this path of growth. So while we're on this path together, yeah, gosh, I, I want to know his yes, no's and maybes. And I want to find out how they change. It's that's the most exciting part. It really is. So it's so much fun. I'm sure yours have changed over the years. Oh yeah. Yeah. When, uh, even on the physical side of, you know, the kink and the things we're into, um, so many things scared us or scared yeah. one of us years ago. And, you know, going four or five years later, we're like, that's called Tuesday. Right. And, uh, right. and, and like what your stories are, the stories that you tell, the, the not just people sometimes confine it to role playing, but I'm like, no, I mean, like the core erotic stories that run through your mind the whole time. I see the shifts, but I only really see them because I've been tracking them. Often we don't notice. We just think about where we are right now. Like, what do I find sexy today is, is kind of all I'm thinking about, but you've changed and grown. And I, I don't know. I, I mean, I feel like I see the growth in our relationship, but also just my own, my own personal development, like, Oh, new parts of me are available. That's and it should be surprising. <laughs> Because when we go through yeah. pictures, recently I over my Christmas break uh, task was to clean the garage. Nice. And I found a box of photos going back to college. And I'm looking through going, why did I have that haircut? Why was I wearing that shirt? Why was I hanging out with these people? And then going on the other side of, oh, I miss these days with these people. And I, I miss eating at this restaurant that hasn't been there in 20 years. Yeah. So it's a great way to go over. And it's not just reminiscing. It, it's sort of realizing where you are in the journey you've come. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's being like, that's engaging in the living, right. And to be able to do that with your relational stuff, with your sex life, um, even just on your own, it's, it's great to do in your, in your partnerships as well. But even just to review that sometimes I forget, you know, I, when we, when we want, we want, when we wind up on this side of the, of the coin. So I, I, the word expert <laughs> connected to the word relationship, right? I, I feel like it's a little weird because yes, I mean, I am technically a relationships expert, but also I'm just a person living and growing. And it's those review periods. It's those times when I, when I look back over my old journals and I think, oh yeah, I've been to Helen back and this is, this is how I've grown. This is how much more of me is available to be loved. That's nothing short of a miracle. Sounds like the match commercials. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but like with myself. Yes. <laughs> and I think that's one thing people need to understand is loving yourself and knowing yourself yeah. in order to make any kind of relationship, whether it be family, business, intimate, to work, you need to know yourself. Definitely. And that's always my, my favorite. It's like, well, why won't they love me? It's like, well, do you love yourself? Well, it doesn't matter. They need to love. I'm like, no, 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 no. If you treat yourself like crap, people are going to treat you like crap. So yeah. come and to reality. Even, 
And even though we can want a lot, we may not even be able to, maybe they do love you, but you're not able to, you're not letting it in because mm-hmm. your own self-loathing is getting in the way. That's, that is such a hard thing to witness. Sometimes there's love being poured all over you, but you're not ready. I've definitely been in that spot where I look back now and I'm like, oh, oh, the people in my life were loving me, but I was caught in, in my own little nightmare and I couldn't let that love in. So yeah, it, and I had, what I had to do was go through the, I had to stay in the inner world long enough, suffer through it and, and then come out to a place where I could receive love again. It's, that is hard and it is dark and it's real. It's just what it is to be alive. But it's just, yeah, it is a part of being human. Yeah. We don't grow without pain. I mean, we need the good experiences too. Um, I, I hate the term martyr. I hate the fact that martyrs are, are I don't sort of idolize in, in so many things and giving up things is, is such a good thing and you're looked upon, but they, they have so much destructive yeah. results from it. Um, yeah, the whole outlook just needs to change. And I think it is. Yeah. Well, I mean, that was actually my mission statement is that I want to help, um, women cultivate passionate, sustainable love without martyrdom because, you know, it's on a small scale, but the, the entrepreneurial woman who is, you know, juggling seven chainsaws and a kitten and and is just absolutely, (laughs) yeah, absolutely ruining themselves because they feel responsible for everything, including the entirety of their relationship. Um, you know, there is a, there is a, a responsibility there to set down the mantle of martyrdom in order to actually engage in relating. And sometimes that means a relationship ends. Sometimes that means that a relationship is, has to be completely reinvented, like a full demo and rebuild project. Um, and sometimes people get really, really hurt in the process but people are going to get hurt when you're juggling seven chainsaws and a kitten too. So, you know, I, I feel like setting down martyrdom is, I mean, that's like a cause for me because been there, done that. It doesn't do anybody any good. Exactly. I was like, I could, I could just imagine because you have seven kids. I was like, yeah, that that's a lot of martyrism going there in your youth when the kids were younger, but slowly growing and, evolving and accepting yeah and changing that that's that's huge yeah congratulations on that (laughs) I do I feel like I'm I'm making it through through the process I didn't know how much time would be spent though they're starting to be the kind of teenagers who are like excited and happy to spend time with me and I'm psyched and I'm like oh I didn't realize they were coming back around we we passed (laughs) through the dark stage and they're back around it's kind of cool but it does take some time. <laughs> oh, I've, I've created mature adults. I like being around. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. It's kind of awesome. And, and very, it's, it's fascinating. You never know what's going to happen. You never know what conversations coming because now they're fully actualized people with their own thoughts, their own patterns. One of them became a vegan during quarantine. I'm like, okay, we're on a new adventure. Who knows? We're just, Good we're just doing that. stuff. <laughs> Fun adventures there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So how can people find you and where can we get this book? Yeah. So to find me, you can easily find me at my website, um, joliehamilton.com. That's J-O-L-I, Hamilton, just like the musical.com. Um, and you can grab the book actually from Amazon. It's available hardback, paperback, and it has there's a Kindle version. And actually, I think right now it's even, if you happen to have Kindle Unlimited, the subscription, I think it might even be free right now. Um, there are lots of ways to track the book down and... If people want to track me down on Instagram or on Clubhouse, they can find me at um, Dr. Jolie Hamilton there too. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for joining us. We had so much fun chatting about your book and learning more. And everyone, you could find us on social media. Best way is right now on our website because of God bless censorship. Yes. website sexpositive.com to keep up with our latest classes activities adventures and crazy stunts that are coming up and otherwise we will see you next week with another fun adventure i don't know what we're doing next week 
Next week is the sex swing. Ooh. <laughs> yes. I'm still finalizing details to have that done. So <laughs> yeah. it just means more research. More research. More research. Yes. <laughs> I Thanks, love that. everyone. Have a, have good, a good night. night. Bye. Thank you for listening to Sex Pods and Me. If you like our content, please like, subscribe, and review us. You can find us on social media platforms at Sex Positive Me or on our website at sexpositiveme.com. You can also reach me on all social media platforms as Miss Angelique Luna. And you can find me at John C. Luna. And if you liked content like this and want some more, please subscribe to our monthly newsletter. And thanks for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.